0: I wish I break free, back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I break free, back to where i
1: Welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast on ProSound Web, sponsored by Shure. My name is Michael Lawrence. I'm the technical editor of ProSound Web and LiveSound International, and I am joined by my colleague and co-host, Kyle Churnside. What's going on, Kyle.
0: You know, hanging out in my basement, getting ready to do a cool interview today. Really excited to be back. Um, Hopefully we'll have a little bit more frequencies coming up. Um, uh, We're going to do some reader stuff, our listener stuff. Uh, We got a new email. You can email us um, some questions, some ideas for topics, a whole bunch of stuff. It's going to get pretty interesting here real quick, I think.
1: And uh, we will be sure to say the email again at the end of the podcast for folks that want to get in touch with us and ask questions and and give us comments. But why don't we do it right now and we can do it again later. Kyle, what is our new fancy email address?
0: Signal2NoisePodcast, the number two, um, at gmail.com. Email us, tell us how we're doing, make fun of us. Um,
1: Well, don't make fun of me, make fun of Kyle.
0: Yeah, you can definitely make fun of me. I'm used to it.
1: So we look forward to hearing from the listeners and letting us know uh, what's been helpful to them. And if you guys have questions or comments and stuff you want us to discuss, definitely let us know. Signal 2, number 2, noise podcast at gmail.com. And our guest today is uh, Samantha Potter. Samantha Potter. Yay, Samantha Potter. (laughs) She is an audio and production engineer who has a focus in the house of worship sector. She currently serves as IT media supervisor for the largest Methodist church in the United States. She also serves as senior contributing editor for Church Sound Magazine, and she is going to be an instructor in the upcoming Church Sound University project, which we're pretty stoked about, and uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about that. So, Samantha, hello. Thank you for joining us.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me. I've been... Listening since you guys kind of launched this, so it's actually kind of weird to be on this side of the microphone.
1: So, where are you talking to us from right now? Where are you physically located?
2: Uh, I am in sort of southwest Kansas City on the Kansas yeah. side.
0: Missouri so. represent.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, Missouri and Kansas. Yeah, we're, but bo- I, I forget you're in St. Louis, Kyle. So, you guys are uh, almost
1: homeboys. Yeah, very close to being homeboys. Yeah.
2: I was born on the Missouri side, so.
0: That's good. Kansas City is kind of like the second-rate river town because of the San Louis oh, okay. Cardinals.
2: All he's already right. throwing well, She's not... been here three minutes. He's already, he's already yeah, shooting okay. shots at him. I think everybody would disagree with you in the state of Missouri. So. Go Blues.
1: So what is your area slash region? Are they known for anything in particular, a food item or a sports Oh, thing? yeah.
2: We have the best barbecue in the country. Hands down, it doesn't get any. We're it. You you, you got to come visit and have some barbecue. I'm sure Kyle come, drives through and grabs some Q.
0: Agree. Uh, my favorite one, thus far, after being to a ton, I still have cousins and uncles that live in Kansas City, a Blue Springs area. Um, my favorite is LC's Barbecue. And if you're listening, um, I would love to be endorsed or sponsored by LC's Barbecue <laughs> in Raytown, Missouri. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, Raytown. Uh, yeah, no, my favorite is um, Joe's it used to be called Oklahoma Joe's, even though it was never in or related to Oklahoma. But they changed the name a few years ago. Now it's Kansas City Joe's. Uh, it's, oh, goodness. It's that, that Kansas City style, which is like uh, definitely more sweet, uh, brown sugar sort of stuff. Uh, so good. Now I'm, see, I just ate and now I'm hungry again. Well, that's again. the
1: thing. Before we get, I mean, we don't want to go too far down the barbecue rabbit hole right, here. Right, So, so as much as I love to talk about tasty, delicious food items, um, we should probably talk about, uh, why don't we start with Church Sound University? So, Samantha, for those of us who don't know what Church Sound University is, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and what people can expect and all that good stuff?
2: Right. So, uh, Church Sound University is this educational program, this 101 track for right now for House of Worship technicians and volunteers uh, as you guys may know, or anybody who's listening, they're kind of last on the list as far as being trained and having technical knowledge, and we sort of want to help raise the bar altogether. And so this is going to be super hands-on. Uh, you know, one it'll be one full day, and me and uh, my colleague Mike Sokol is the other co-lead instructor, and we're going to be kind of leading through a whole day of all sorts of things from wrapping cables to uh, RF and everything in between. You know, this first class is 101, and we're going to develop, you know, 201 and 301 eventually, and really just kind of expand on maybe some auxiliary courses to do other production value sort of things that House of Worship techs have to deal with. So we're trying to basically fill in all the holes that other education programs aren't filling right now. It feels like a lot of people are making attempts to teach this, uh, but aren't doing it in quite the same fashion that we're able to do. We have a, a lot of great experience and resources at our fingertips with uh, Pro Sound Web and, you know, Lifesider International and Church Sound Magazine that we can kind of, we can get the best of the best. So that's sort of kind of an overview of what that program is going to be.
0: No, I I love that because one of the first articles that I had to um, submit for one of the worship magazines was when a volunteer, uh, between Mm -hmm. using a volunteer or a paid person. And and that's one of those things that churches have a real choice in making, you know, so getting them the training – uh, is amazing, and like you said there 's a lot of programs out there, but no one really takes them through it, so it 'll be cool yep, to see what absolutely you guys and have it's to and we 're trying
2: to make it really affordable for for any size church you know it, the mega churches you know ironically, I work for a very very large church, but most of my passion lies with all the the really small and the medium sized churches, and this is really geared towards them because they 're not the ones who manufacturers seek out you know, they they need just as much education, if not more, than the rest of us. So, you know, making it, I think right now it's $100 a head, uh, and we're going to be in the D.C. area in Reston, Virginia on October 12th. And so for, you know, $100 a head, I think we're also going to have some scholarships possibly available that we want to make sure anybody can, you know, any church in the area can send at least one person.
1: So if someone likes this idea and they want more information or they're not in, the Virginia area, and they want to see if there's going to be some near them in the future, where should they go for that information?
2: Yes, they should check out ChurchSoundU, the letter U, dot com. Uh, we've got registration page up. We're actually in the middle of finishing our the whole website right now. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, and uh, emailing me is always a good option, so...
1: So we will put that information in the description of this podcast for anybody that wants some more information about Churchtown University. We're going to come back to that. And, uh, Kyle, I know that you also do some house of worship work regularly. Is that right?
0: For sure. Um, I work at a friendly temple Baptist missionary church here in down, beautiful downtown St. Louis. Um, it, it, it's fun. And I've worked with a lot of churches, you know, doing training and education programs for the council company I used to work for um i find it almost more enjoyable than teaching people that think they know what they're doing um mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're they're very eager, they listen, they're very polite. I mean, Samantha and I had, had talked about this offline. The polite thing only goes so far when it gets stressful, obviously, but when mm-hmm. it comes to training and education, like the willingness of a church environment, house worship environment is amazing. Like they're they're so ready to take on new challenges and get it to the next level and that's why like you said small and mid-sized churches are amazing like they they just it's almost like touring with a band on their first album it's like the fire mm. is there and yeah. and people need to see the value in that um especially audio folks video folks lighting folks they can go into a house of worship and learn things and touch things that they would never be able to in a club environment
2: yeah i i always say Whenever I'm talking to you know young engineers or my interns or or mentees or whoever uh, that house of houses of worship are fantastic places to explore and learn and have probably the least stressful job that you'll have in this field. Uh, it, it's such a it's so different being in a place where kind of everybody's there for the same reason. Uh, nobody's really there's not as many like cranky people I guess. Uh, people are just kind of. You know, they're there to serve their ministry, and they're happy to be there. They want to be there. And so that's kind of the the double-edged sword of House of Worship stuff is that on one hand, they're extremely eager. They really want to learn. They're, you know, they are open. But then they're also not super trained. And so...
0: You mentioned something in one of the um, articles or bios that you wrote before is that you don't necessarily need to be religious to go work for a church.
2: Right, right. Uh, Yeah, and that's I I think that's probably what's holding a lot of people back uh, is they think that they need to align directly up with the religious or spiritual doctrine that that specific church has. And that's not true. I I don't agree with everything that – my place of employment, you know, uh, or the churches I even work with, uh, say, I don't necessarily agree with them, but that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that they want to do what they think is best. And I want to do, and I want to help them get to that goal. And that's, that's where I derive my joy from. So,
1: so I, I mean, I've, I've done uh, some amount of house of worship work. I haven't done as much as, as you two. Um, and I think, because I'm primarily a system tech, you know, we don't spend, I don't, I don't, I don't go back yep. every Sunday like you guys do. Right, right, Um, but if you asked me, you know, what is the biggest problem that you see with house of worship audio coming from my perspective, you're probably going to get a technical answer and the way the system is configured or something like that. And mm-hmm. so you guys have different perspectives. And so I would be interested in, in, both of your viewpoints on you know it, what what are some of the common issues you see in church sound and and you know what were some recommendations you would you would make to to fix those issues?
2: I'll let you go first, uh, Kyle.
0: Really? Because yeah. I just have I have jokes. That's about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the jokes are good. So. The,
0: the jokes like have a point. It's it's kind of like the Chris Rock thing. They're all ironically true. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I see a problem in church sound is the DB limit. You know, you can't scare away the blue hairs and you can't um, not rock the house. Uh, It's, it's a rock show now. And um, one of my really good friends, Kent Margraves, which I hope to have on the show too here soon, used to mix at elevation in South Carolina. I think he still does part time, but like he always told me about that as well is like, you want to get into it and feel it. And, Usually the worship leaders and pastors want you to, like, pound the crowd, but then you also don't want to scare people away. So mm. a, a lot of the engineer problems that I see is they, they switch to these plugins and everything's limited and everything's, like, in this little box. There are no dynamics left. And some churches are hard to mix. Like, uh, traditional-style churches like I work in uh, with full choirs and stuff aren't built for reinforced sound. So yeah. you, you have to be kind of, you know— You have to go in with a tech attitude like I I think, Michael, you would work well in a church because the measurements and the sound that you want to happen would be 95 percent of the job, you know, mixing the shows, the fun part, you know.
1: Well, it's you know, I've talked about Samantha and I have done some some work together on things like that in the past and and the division of labor Is, uh, you know, I, like I said, being a system tech, I have a very technical mind and I'm coming in and I'm looking at, you know, how your system is configured and patched together. And, uh, you know, I see a ton of issues with how the loudspeakers are aimed or that type of thing. And... Samantha's strength really lies in dealing with people—the people that are operating the system and getting them trained. And that's you know, as a system tech, we sort of forget the human element sometimes. you can have the best tuned PA system in the world, and if the people that are supposed to operate the system don't understand how to operate the system, you're not going to have a good show. And so, the training is such an important part because you can give them this amazing tool or this amazing clean palette to work with, which is a, a you know a well-designed audio system, and say, here well, you can do amazing stuff with this. But they're going to need the tools to do that, the the knowledge to do that, and so that's why the training, you know, which is which is a, a part of the equation that I don't spend a lot of time on. I'm not I'm not really in that mm-hmm. circle that much. And Samantha, you're a lot more in that circle than I am, and that's why it's such an important thing what you guys are doing with with the university, and and also I know you do some of that freelance. Um, so you know, one thing that I, I run into, and I I will admit that I very quickly get frustrated is, uh. When the mix is messed up in a church, the first thing I will do is I will just bypass everything. I will zero out the console, take all the plugins out, take all the effects processors out, put yeah. your faders up, put your gains up, high pass filters, and by that point they're usually going, "Wow, what did you do?" And I, I took out all the garbage that you guys let yeah. accumulate for yeah. for months or years, and since. You know, it doesn't all get there at once and it doesn't all get there from one person. So it sort of sneaks up on you. And then from there, you know, then you go, OK, let's do a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And the question that people ask in House of Worship a lot is, well, after I get done EQing vocal, for example, they'll say, can't you just show us where the knobs go and we can just put them back there? And I'm very frustrated by that because it's it's difficult for me to even start to explain why that's not going to work. Because if if mm-hmm. you think about what they're used to running – you know, what is it, Pro Presenter for the slides where you set it up and then you hit the button and it goes, or you're running your lighting effects and you set it up and then you hit the button and it goes. Audio doesn't work like that. And so if you think about what they're used to doing every week, you can see why that's a logical thing to ask. Why can't I just do this every week? But as we know, audio doesn't always work like that. So when you're in those types of training situations, you know, what's your approach to that? How do you, how do you get people up to speed on what they need to be doing?
2: Well, everything you just said is kind of alluding to exactly what i I would say is the biggest technical problem that I run into. And so, as you mentioned, uh, I do quite a bit of freelancing with houses of worship. I help them like redesign their sound and their media systems. and I mean, number one is that they haven't been trained enough, and so that ends up leaving equipment untouched for. I was one. I was at one recently that had nobody had touched certain the entire rack system since like nine eleven, and that was a super long time ago. That was like you know eighteen or nineteen years ago at this point. And the fact that nobody had checked it because they're, you know, kind of afraid to touch stuff, which you kind of need to be because it's really easy to mess it up. Uh, and it's so abstract audio is that there could be a problem and you have no idea where to fix it. And so absolutely training and uh, just sort of getting them, getting them comfortable and understanding what's going on, picking up where, you know, production companies leave off, you know, lots of churches get some money and they get a sound system upgrade and that's awesome. And they have a local production company install it. And the people that are training, shouldn't really be educators just because you know, something doesn't mean that you're able to teach it. And, uh, I think that's the, for me, that's the biggest issue. So,
0: uh, how do you justify a cost to a church? Um, that, that seems to be an issue that people would run into as well, is, is justifying the cost for the training and stuff. I mean, it's really cool to see now that there's WFX, there's worship conferences, there's mm-hmm. stuff like that going on. But um, I even noticed that at our church, you know, um, is, is justifying the cost for it. They think they can do it all in one day, or it, it's, a hard, ex, it's like a hard sell, hard explanation.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's kind of, you know kind of partially why we made uh, you know Churchtown University cheap, so it was way less red tape because there can be so much of it, and as as long of a day as it may be, putting it in one in one day uh, because uh, most of these people have like day jobs, and this is just something they do on the weekends, and so we can't ask them to take off work or miss this and that, but asking them to you know give up a Saturday and come help their ministry is, you know, uh, a much more, uh, it's a much better cause. So, um, as far as justifying costs, you know, that can be, that can be really tough. Uh, a lot of times they just want to buy equipment because they can see that and they can say, oh yeah, we spent money on this box. So this will fix our problems. So, you know, how do you convince anybody that they need more training and, the talking with them is has been how I've done it freelancing, just talking with them and talking about their goals, what they want for their ministry. And I usually talk about, you know, hey, who's running your system? How long have they been doing this? Do they have any training? And I almost always bring up like, hey, like, I'll retune your system for you. And I'll include, you know, four hours of training, or something like that, so that your team is up to date on it. So as far as a, as far as like a, you know, one specific answer, uh, communication, I guess.
1: I think one of the things that, that I find most frustrating, uh, is that a lot of these churches when new sound equipment or any new equipment is a really big purchase and they've saved money often Mm -hmm. for years to get something like an EPA system. And, uh, it's very frustrating when I see that money is not being spent wisely. And again, they don't uh, – people that volunteer for their church on the weekends, they're, they're not audio engineers. They can't be expected to be audio engineers. Like you said, they're volunteers. And so right. um, there's a, a, an immediate sort of uh, – re- people don't want to bring in a contractor because they say, well, that costs money to bring in a contractor. And so there's mm-hmm. resistance to that. But – what I've seen happen all too many times is you get your third new line array system in, in a decade instead of what you really need is is acoustic treatment because you have acoustic problems. And changing out the brand of line array is not going to solve those problems. And so in the long run, what I see is more money being spent than needs to be spent, way more money being spent than needs to be spent because uh, you really just want to get it right the first time. And so that's where I, I say, yeah, it, it will cost you a little more right now, but – bring somebody in who does this for a living and will give you what you need and will not sell you what you don't need. And then the other side of that is is the training for the people on the ground, for the people that are going to be running the church sound system every week. And it's not necessary that they be integrators or system techs or, you know, big time audio engineers, but how do we give people the basic tools to really be effective in in their little sphere that that they're involved with? Uh one of my big things And I I think we can offer this as a tip for any folks who are listening who do work in church sound and are are maybe volunteers or less experienced and are looking for some ways to improve the results that they're getting. And, And maybe you guys can offer some other tips as well. But my biggest thing would be that each EQ in that rig has a job. And when you start crossing those wires, that's where you get into problems. So, you know, every input on your console has an EQ. And that is for the input so that EQ should be correcting for the choice of mic, should be correcting for how that mic is placed on the source, should be correcting for the voice, the sound of the singer um, such that, you know, when you mic the singer up and then you set their EQ properly and you put headphones on and you listen to that input in your headphones, it sounds like it's supposed to sound. Um, And then we have output EQ on our systems. And if you're on a digital desk, it's right in the board. If you're on an analog desk, uh, most people have a rack of graphic EQs. If you don't have those, they're very, very inexpensive to get them. And you use the output EQ for the output of the system. So to make the system and the room sound good together. And yes, you you are getting into system tech territory, but there's a very quick and dirty way you can do it if you're not a system tech, which is get a recording that you know well, play it through the console, make sure there's no EQ on that recording. And then you think about how you would adjust the sound in your car. In your car, we don't have 31 bands on a graphic EQ. You have, you know, bass, treble, and mid. And so you only have 3. And so it's really easy to hear, oh, it's too bassy or there's too much treble or there's too much mid, mm-hmm. and which one do I want to reduce? And if you think about it that way and you adjust the output EQ in very, very broad broad senses, then what you have is Anything that comes out of this console, we now know, will sound correct in the room. So the input EQ makes the source sound correct going through the console, and the output EQ makes the output of the console sound correct in the room, and all of a sudden your EQ is doing the right thing. What, what happens is people try to deal with, uh, you know, the mic doesn't sound a certain way that they want, so they go to the output EQ and they start hacking that up, and then that person leaves and then there's another person, and so you end up with all these crazy filters all over the system and no one knows why they're there or how they got there, and they've been there forever, and now you're trying to... Use your input EQs to sort of EQ around the output EQs. And so you end up with this big, crazy mess. And so what I like to say is, hey, we have cell phones these days. Take a picture of that output graphic EQ. Take a picture of the input EQ in your console. And then you can go ahead and change it. And if it doesn't work, you can always put it back. You know, it's 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 not going to turn you into a pillar of salt to touch the graphic EQ. You're going to be okay. Um, so that is something that that if I could make one suggestion to folks who are running sound in, in churches, I would say, get a good understanding of what EQ has what job and and approach it that way. And I think you'd, people will be amazed how much stuff starts to clear up when you yeah. do that.
2: Yeah. And it's okay to flatten it out and start over again. Like, don't be Absolutely. afraid to just be like, Mep, I don't like this. Or, right. you know, it, it, what you had said at the beginning, Michael, was that audio is not like you know, plug and play as much as video and lighting is because so many variables change from like week to week or session to session, or minute to minute. And so you need to be aware of what those changes are and how that affects what you're doing. And so sometimes, just like you had said, basically, the first thing I do, if I go in to fix a church's sound system, uh, or their mix or whatever, or teach them, I'm just like, okay, like, I'll just cycle, I'll look at their inputs, I'll just really quickly uh, tab through all their EQs, you know, you know if it looks wrong. (laughs) It's like, oh, this is is not correct. Uh, You should definitely have a high-pass filter on these 18 channels uh, sort of thing. And just give the really basic start here and then work your way around. I really like the idea of them putting on headphones and listening to seeing what it's supposed to sound like. Like, you know, if your ear was next to this instrument, is this what it would sound like? So. Right.
1: And, and, you know, I'm going to quote a little Chris Mitchell here. When we had Chris on the podcast, you know, we were talking about the, the, the history of EQ equalization is literally that it was corrective. It was, uh, I believe the first use was to correct the high frequency loss in telephone lines. And so the idea of we are making something equal that became unequal, we're correcting mm-hmm. for that. So, so its very genesis is, is correction. And so if you have, a perfect source with a perfect microphone, in theory, you need no EQ. And that's something that Chris has really gone down that road in terms of getting the right microphone in the right place on the right source and saying, oh, I don't need EQ to correct for anything now. So if we look at a channel EQ on console in a church um, and we go, yep, that's about what I would expect for this type of microphone on a female vocalist, for example. you know, um, If we see something really crazy, then that's going to give us some information about Maybe it's not the right mic. Maybe it's not on the right spot. Maybe we need to work with the worship band about mic handling. Maybe mm-hmm. we need to That's look at one. how the right. We need to look at how the PA is tuned, and so so the EQ is a really telling diagnostic for what might be going on with the system. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and although that does take some experience to know that, it's something that anybody can do because we all know what music sounds like everyone's got a couple favorite songs you can play a track through your console take the eq off those inputs just play that recording flat through the console and that recording should sound good in the room it should sound like it sounds anywhere else that you might listen to and if you use a recording you're familiar with you're going to know right away it's too bassy it's it's too troubly or whatever um that's a really good starting point because if you get your sound system in a place where it's behaving everything else clears up um, yeah if you're so, aiming
2: for transparency you'll never lose
1: right and 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 that's just in terms of a really really basic idea that I think goes unnoticed too often it's a house of worship it's not an a c d c concert um the message whoa, is why whoa, people are whoa. in the room well, hey man, I mean you know dirty deeds done dirt <laughs> cheap that's a really important message but the <laughs> the the idea of a house of worship on its most basic is that people are coming to hear a message they want to hear what's being said if they can't hear what's being said if they can't hear the words that like the, what's the point like right, why are you, you here you, everyone is having their time wasted so at the end of the day i don't care about your vintage reverbs or your fancy you know super space echo flanger 2000 effects <laughs> if i can't hear what's Whoa. happening so we need to start with intelligibility and <laughs> yeah. so Everything takes a back seat to people being able to understand what the message is. And that is where, once we cross the console outputs, you know, I'm going back to system tech world here, but it's true. Uh, Everyone in the room should be able to hear that message. Not the people that are sitting close to the front of house. If the people that are in the back can't hear because the delays aren't set right, or the people on the sides can't hear because they're out of the coverage of the mains. These are, you know, things that we need to talk about and things that we need to bring in someone who knows how to look at these systems and solve these problems. Because once again, what is the point? If people can't understand what's being said, we need to put the brakes on and say, wait, why are we even here right now?
0: And that's your return on investment. Like I said, at the very beginning, the, the, the Vocal clarity is the biggest thing, like you said, and if they can't hear, your statement to the worship or the pastor or to the church people should be, hey, man, if they can't hear the words, they're just going to go to the church down the street. And in in that world, that loses them money, you know? Um, Vocal clarity is number one, period. Like you can 't not have it, you have to mix it like a pop show if people can't sing along if the words on the screen don't match what their band's doing I think that's why like, these worship conferences that i've been going to for the last few years uh really stress like how the production needs to be tight, you know, and I think some of these smaller church like like you said, a hundred bucks to go hang out with Samantha for a day is well worth it Like,
1: well um, that's weird because when I went to hang out with her she charged me a hundred bucks <laughs> So, <laughs>
2: uh, yeah no it, it's it's just really important and houses of worship kind of they have a lot in common with certain like big productions like concerts and stuff like that because that's the way the protestant worship is going is very is very produced uh, and it can be a lot of fun But we also flip side need to remember that, yeah, like the message is sort of the most important second, you know, and then immediately after that is like rhythm, keeping everybody on rhythm and then being able to sing along. The biggest faux pas to me, other than like feedback, is uh, when the person running graphics like isn't keeping up with the slide changes and it's like, if I just walked off the street, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a convert and I have no idea what's happening because you can't, I I just, it bothers me so much. So
0: church bands are good. I'm I'm sorry that like church bands are the best cover bands. They are, you know, (laughs) they really are. Um, If you give them a click, you give them some in-ears and you have a, a solid band, like, The job at front of house is so much easier. Even at Monitor World, like, um, it makes it so easy for them. I think one of the biggest mistakes is handing the players iPads or personal mixers. It kind of takes away from their playing sometimes. Uh, Mm -hmm. 90% of the time at my church, I make one to two adjustments, a 45-minute show. I mean... If you look over and see your guitar player fiddling with his iPad or personal his mixer...
2: His unit or whatever. Yeah, it's, t-
0: it's time to take it away. Like, focus on your playing. Get it, set it, set it and forget it. It's like Ronco, you know? Um,
1: well, the other thing that ties into that is it. just because you can hear that your mix doesn't sound good, it doesn't necessarily mean you know how to fix it. And that's the difference between, you know, the musician who's saying... I can't hear what I need to hear to do this performance properly. And the engineer who says, I agree with you and here's what we need to do to fix it. I'm going to make some EQ cuts here. I'm going to pull this this level back here. Um, And so my experience has been, uh, by and large, there are some exceptions, some people who know exactly what they need to do. But a lot of people can get themselves up the creek really quick with a personal monitor mixer. And depending on the brand of product that you're using, I no longer can help you. Uh, yeah, that's decide a whole nother podcast, write, isn't it,
0: man? Like, it is. Sometimes the worst thing in the world you can do is let a musician decide what they want to hear.
2: Yeah, because what they think they want is almost never what they actually want.
0: And what the people that write the check want is to alleviate a monitor person.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's, you know, and this goes into another topic, which I which I, I wanted to bring up anyway, is dialogue with the musicians. Um, you know, it it often will come up. You see this on the church sound forms and it's it's from one of two sides. It's either the person who operates the mix console at their church, usually a volunteer, saying, Guys, um, my guitar player at church just has this awful tone or he's way too loud and it's causing me all these problems and I don't know what to do about it, or you'll see the, the band member come on and say, Um, I have this great tone everywhere else I play and when I go to church it doesn't sound right. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to approach that. And so that goes back to something that you said you said when we started, which is communication. You know, How do we open those lines, get that dialogue started where uh, the goal here, let's not forget, is we all want the same thing. We all want you to sound good. We all want you to be comfortable. We all want you to have a great performance on stage or have a great worship session or whatever it is that you're doing. We want that to work. We're on the same side. And I think you know people can forget that uh because no one likes being told that they're doing something wrong no one likes being told yeah. uh you know that that this is bad or that your tone is bad and so you know how do you get to a place where you can have that dialogue um and you can you can be productive with that uh you know what, do you have any tips for for that exchange
2: uh having any kind of rapport with anybody on your technical team is a good idea Uh, just because that's kind of the nice thing, I guess, about working in a church is that you're kind of, you get to be, uh, you know, a family, just like you would be on tour. You see these pretty much the same people every weekend at the same time. You know, sometimes you have rehearsals during the week together and being able to know who they are as a person will only help facilitate more technical adjustments. So you know, know if, you know, the person's name, obviously, you know, just, just what they do for work, you know, if they're married or whatever, how long they've been at the church, that sort of thing,
0: do you like get tacos? some kind of rapport.
2: Yeah. Do you like tacos? I, you know. Yeah. What kind of what kind that of that should probably be yeah. the
1: first question before right. we get <laughs> before we even talk about your guitar tone. Yeah. Do don't you tell like me tacos? your name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what's what kind of taco? Crunchy or soft shell? I like uh,
0: where this is going.
2: Yeah.
1: We've somehow managed uh, yeah. to get back to the lunch topic. I don't know yeah. how we did that.
2: <laughs> it's lunchtime. So, uh, and uh, and then yeah, and so and being able to, I think in all audio aspects, being a very personable and being able to talk to people is, is a really valued skill and some some audio people don't have that and it's not natural to them and that's okay it's just something to work on but being able to critique or adjust something with a little bit of finesse is better than just saying blah this sucks fix it it's like hey like out here this sounds a little bit like that do you think you we could try doing this instead just so we can see if that sounds better you know things like that. It's all about how you present it,
0: really. Hey, so. hey Isaiah, do you mind turning down your full stack?
2: <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, which so, by the
2: way, why did you bring that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so that's that's a cool, and the, you could use this. I, I only ask for uh, maybe five percent of the profits. So, what we should do is, I'll get all the grumpy dudes that I work with <laughs> on all these rock shows yeah. and send them to church youth so they can work on their personal skills.
2: Yeah, that sounds great.
0: And. We'll get two birds with one stone, you know? It's like, we'll help the church folk figure out that they're doing something wrong, and then we'll help the the grumpy uh, roadies learn how to act right around people.
2: Right, right. Because, I mean, and church people can, like, sniff out, you know, a fake. You can tell, like, I've worked with um, somebody before on a tech team who was clearly there just for the job and didn't care at all about, about what the ministry was doing, uh, you know, religions aside, ironically, but whatever the mission of your ministry may be like that, you should be on board with that. That's like being on a sales team and not wanting to sell things. It's like, why are you on the sales team right now? And being able to, you know, it, you can just tell. Like, they they seem like they don't, they're very blasé, they don't care You know, they pretty much do the minimum of what they need to do to get the job done. And that's not what House of Worship Audio is about.
0: So I took a gig with my friend who works at Scorpio Audio one summer uh, to be a monitor system guy for a tour. It was uh, Max Locato with uh, Michael W. Smith, Toby Mac, and Third Day. Wow,
1: that's a pretty good lineup, huh? Yeah.
0: It was a good lineup. but. I'm the jerk at Monitor World that would wear the Slayer shirt just to see if I could get a reaction (laughs) from somebody. And it never happened. Like, nobody would ever say anything like, oh, he's wearing a Napalm Death shirt today. And, like, one of the guys actually came up to me and was like, man, those guys are really good. Aren't they from England? Aren't they from the UK? I was like, oh, man, I can't even phase these church people. Like... All yeah. right, I'm bringing my Show No Mercy t-shirt out tomorrow. Like nobody said anything. Like Yeah. <laughs> dang, I can't phase these people. They all yeah. look like yeah. a J.C. Penney ad. How does he know who Napalm Death is? <laughs> yeah. Like
2: <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, middle America. Woo. Yeah, uh, there's like I mean, there's like and there's a lot of competition for churches, especially, you know, here in the Midwest, even more so in the South. Uh if you don't like what's happening here, I can literally go two blocks over. Uh, and find something else that mm-hmm. I need, or another something else I'm not getting,
0: and hear the same songs.
2: And you'll know the words already. So, yes.
0: I, I've toured with a bunch of Christian artists. Like one of my very, very first tours with, was with uh, Zeo, which was on Sol- Solid State Records, and no mm-hmm. one believed me that they were a Christian man because they're like the heaviest. Thing. Like they're heavier than Pantera. Like people that listen oh to Pantera are sissies. Like. <laughs>
2: Z- Zayo wow. was insane,
0: oh and oh, man. I told the church guy that I was like, "Oh, I toured with this Christian band named Zayo. and he was like, "Oh, I've never heard of him. Have you ever heard of, um, Michael W. Smith?" And I was like, "No, not at all." But it, I I've become more <laughs> adapt to like the music now. Um, I've, I've listened to the Elevation album. Those guys sound so good. Like everything that I, I listen from Bethel, um, Elevation, yep, Hillsong, Hill Hillsong. Holy cow, they're great songwriters. Like they write excellent songs. They really do, and they sound yeah. good. Whoever records them, and like most of them are live performances. So whatever they're doing, they're doing something right. So a lot of these small and mid-range churches have some really cool people to look up to. To actually get it right as well. And I think maybe you going into a church, do you mention that? Do you show like another production you did with the church to show where they could go with what they have?
2: Yeah, it comes up, especially in like designs and things like that. Um, Or I'll talk about like what we may be using at the church and the seminary I do a lot of work at, you know, kind of what they're doing. Uh, I try to not push any particular flavor, onto their worship experience, it's actually part of my little, yeah, I don't know, services, I guess, where I'll go and I'll attend a service uh, of theirs so I can get a feel of exactly what they're bringing to the table uh, just because you, you can go to two different, like, Methodist churches, for instance, and have drastically different experiences because one may be, uh, you know, very um, – posh and very upper class. And there may be another one that is uh, really based, uh, has a huge African-American community and minority community, and their music stylings are entirely different. And so I like to attend their service before I give them any recommendations because I want to see, hey, where are you sitting at? What's going on? You know, that's also when I like listen for problems and stuff like that because the music that I listen to and I love doesn't necessarily reflect their congregation, and I think that that's important. So, when when it fits, uh, yeah, I I'll, I might bring it up and say, "Hey, uh, Hillsong does this or Elevation does that," but not definitely not upfront. That's like uh, when I'm teaching them how to mix. Like I'll bring up that kind of styling with them.
1: And I think you know the the whole idea of having the context of what's happening in a particular environment. It's really important because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about some, some work that I've done with, with the Catholic Church and how absolutely different their needs are, their audio needs, than, mm-hmm. like you said, the Protestant Church or the Evangelical Church that I worked with. and I mean, with the Catholic Church, the, the goal was we need to get this choir above the organ, period. That's it. Right. There's no mixing. It's literally we need to put some mics out and put some boxes in a way that the choir's not going to get steamrolled. In in uh, right. in
0: this marble building. <laughs> right, with
1: three and a half seconds of reverb. Right. And so compare that to a lot of the very lush, modern, compressed kind of LA sparkle pop compression, mm-hmm. you know, production stuff that you see going. And so yeah. uh and and if you add add into the mix that no one likes when someone just comes in and starts telling other people what to do. No right, one likes right. that. I don't I, I really don't like that. And so Unless I, they're married. <laughs>
0: then we're just used to it <laughs> I mean
1: I would be so resistant to someone who is a quote specialist being brought in to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong No one, no, then no one's going to feel good in that situation and so right. that's why it is so important I mean, like I mentioned I don't do a ton of house of worship but to just go to a service and no one knows I'm there and they don't know who I am I'm just going to sit and I'm going to just watch it and I'm going to see what's happening and see how things are sounding and really get uh, a good starting point to have a conversation. And so I think that sort of puts a bow on what's been a common theme through this whole discussion for us is it's all coming back to having that communication to come in and understand what the issues are and have a dialogue about how to, how to move forward from there.
0: Let's go yeah. way back, Samantha. How, how did you get started? I mean, obviously, um, you're female which I, I knew you when you were doing a lot of sound Girls stuff and obviously you were doing stuff before then. Like, uh, where did you come from? How did you get started in, in helping this stuff out?
2: Uh, yeah. So I, I get asked this actually pretty, pretty often in house not of worship stuff. Not by me. I don't ask cause I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yes, Michael. Thank you. Talk it's been us. a lovely year of friendship with you. Uh, and, uh, Uh, so I, uh, I'm a classically trained musician. I started on violin when I was very young, uh, picked up cello and upright bass and stuff, did jazz, uh, you know, through high school. And you reach a certain point in your career where you realize I'm not going to make it doing this. And so, uh, I had started to get really into computers and, uh, this computer networking program that I was going to take at my high school ended up like falling through and they canceled the program, which made me uh, stick more into music. And so by the time I graduated, I sort of stumbled upon recording and stuff like that. And I, uh, a studio owner, a local studio owner here in Kansas city, uh, I spoke with them when my band at the time toured their studio And we got to talking, and he basically took me under his wing for like a year and sort of taught me as much as he could about all sorts of stuff. And after that, you know, I did some freelancing and what have, a little bit here and there. And uh, then I started taking some classes at this local community college just to see if I had, you know, to fill in any gaps I thought maybe I had been missing. And um, uh, while I was there... The faculty knew I had working experience in audio. And so they said, hey, like whenever they had a job come up, they would offer it to me first. And it's all about who you know, folks. And uh, I would take those jobs and they'd say, oh, hey, you know, give live audio a shot, at very least to just have respect for what they're doing out there. And so I did a couple of jobs and I absolutely fell in love with it. It like changed my life. And, and, then i sort of fell into doing house of worship stuff probably 6 6 years ago 6 or 7 years ago and i found this weird little niche place where i am can grow and be pushed and help give them the change that they desperately need and so it's been i mean i'm i'm pretty young but i've had quite the i've had quite the course over the last you know 10 years or so
0: i'm i'm pretty young too Yes, you are. <laughs> not,
2: not not quite as.
0: <laughs> I know, uh, so I, I like to bring up the sound girls thing because I think it's super interesting. I think um, sometimes uh, females get a hard go at audio because of you know the mantra that follows it. You know, everyone says, "Oh, where's the sound mm-hmm. guy?" You know, um, yeah. how did you fall into that? Was uh, Carrie Keys a key role? Um, how how did you get going with that?
2: Uh, it was one of those, I've been a part of Soundgirl since it was really way smaller than it is now. Um, you know, maybe when there was, you know, a, a few hundred or so, it was, there was definitely less than a thousand at the time. Uh, and it's kind of one of those things where you Google something and you go down this hole and you end up finding it. Uh, It was like like that last
0: night with that Bob Lazar (laughs) thing in Joe Rogan Uh, podcast.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. The the best internet findings are are in those deep holes. Uh, But yeah, I just sort of found it and I was so, you know, I felt so in love with the mission of what they were doing that I got involved as, as much as they would kind of let me. And so when they were, uh, Carrie started asking for uh, blog writers, I was like, Hey, sure. Like, I'll give it a whirl. You know, I've got some things to say and, uh, I love writing. So why not? So I did that for like a year and that's how Keith Clark, the editor in chief of Pro Sound Web and Center International and, uh, and Church Sound,
0: the boss found man. me.
2: Yeah. Real Boston. That, that's how he found me. And so, uh, I've been kind of casually having writings published in LSI and Churchdown for a few years. Um, uh, but in the last year, I've I've kind of joined the team. But back to Sound Girls, you know, I was uh, a chapter a chapter head uh, here in Kansas City for several years. I had to step away from doing that job because it, it, it's it does take a lot, and I just got so busy with work that I just felt like I couldn't do it justice. But I'm still friends with you know I'm I'm sure I know almost every woman who does audio in the city. Uh, but yeah, Soundgirls is you know they have a they have a great mission, and as long as they can continue to help women obtain jobs and get them trained, then they'll always be around.
0: I know firsthand that women are better than men at about everything.
1: <laughs> That's s- true. I, s- yeah, I agree with that.
0: Shooting arrows, guns. Um, <laughs> my daughter is wow, pretty amazing well you went
1: right to the to the weaponry i'm a little <laughs> concerned about that everything okay <laughs> yeah, yeah they're
0: way more accurate like you want to be a tough guy take your lady to the shooting range and watch her destroy you like <laughs> <laughs> i think i think social media and and definitely news blow it up to be more than it really is and it's awesome to yeah. hear that maybe being a woman isn't the biggest problem you know and and right coming up i had the same problem my age you know mm-hmm. and people didn't take me seriously it wasn't because i was a dude or a white guy or
2: mm-hmm.
0: or shoot guns it was because i was too young and um some people don't take you seriously
1: well you know what i just we're running up against the clock but i i think that kyle you and i talked talked last time about you know, this issue of, hey, you look young or, you know, people taking a look at you and deciding you don't know what you're doing for any for any number of reasons, like you said. And what I found the best way to fight that is to just be awesome, to just go out there and just yes. kill it and do a oh, great yeah. job and be just the just the nicest person in the room and and just be awesome and just force those people to confront that. And they're going they will trust me, they will absolutely have to go home and confront that on your own because you came in and you killed it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I, I like, I, I like when people underestimate me because then I have all the power and I can come in and swoop in and do my thing and be awesome. And they have to, they, like you said, have to face the facts like, Oh, my preconceived notions were wrong. Uh, and that's a sweet, sweet justice. It is Sweet
0: Justice. And it's awesome to be on the other side of that and empower the kids. Like That's what I love doing now. I was a punk rock kid. Replace everything you said about classical training with punk rock and really bad (laughs) music, and that was me. (laughs) And I love the kids taking it over and finding interest. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast now is you and Michael and the people that I've made friends with through AES Student Summits they still call me you know and uh, i love to give them that empowerment because no one gave it to me and no secrets you know let's let's hand it over to the kids because the kids are going to rule it here in a bit i'm going to be old and deaf and have grandkids (laughs) and never go see shows again you know so rock the set
1: So if you have anyone out there has questions for old and deaf Kyle or or (laughs) or or or, or less old and less deaf Michael, uh, you can email us at signal two number two uh, noise podcast at gmail dot com. And definitely check the description page for this podcast for more information on Samantha and Churchtown University and all of those cool things that she has going on and. Samantha, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute blast. Yeah, yes, man. thank
2: you guys so much. It's this is always it's always fun to get, you know, the squad together to to chat. So
0: Posse. Missouri good. Missouri Posse
2: yes. Barbecue.
1: And <laughs> yeah. and uh, for our listeners, make sure to to keep an eye out on uh, more episodes coming shortly.